Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion, addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate you guys. I'm going to ask a lot of questions today, and we're going to get a lot of biblical answers in just a minute. Father in heaven, thank you for another opportunity to uh, dig into your word, to look at our culture, our country, and the world around us, and try to see through the lens of Scripture. Lord, we pray that you would help us cultivate an eternal perspective And, oh, God, just help us slow down and just be in your presence, in your word, and be able to discern what's happening around us. And, uh, Lord, give us wisdom. We ask every day, and you say you give generously to those who ask. So we thank you for that. We love you. Lord, I know you've called us, those who are believers. Um, You've chosen us to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and that means that will last even beyond us, and that means eternal. And, Father, we pray that you would um, make us more sensitive to opportunities to share the gospel, that more people might be saved and hear the truth of Jesus Christ, the only hope that is true. We love you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've got a lot of questions. A lot of people uh, go to search engines. They go to Google. They go to all, all other places, maybe the news media, maybe <laughs> their friends, to try to find answers to things that are going on. Well, if you're a Christian, we know we go to the Word of God first and foremost, but there are some great resources out there for Christians to go to to get answers. Today we have back with us Shay Hoodman, the founder and CEO of GotQuestions.org. He received a Bachelor of Arts in uh, Biblical Studies from Calvary University and a Master's of Arts in Christian Theology from Calvary Theological Seminary. And Got Questions, by the way, has been around since 2002. I didn't uh, remember it uh, back then because I wasn't really doing much searching, but that was uh, really in the early days when the net was really getting more popular. But uh, Shay, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth, brother. Uh, Thank you for having me. It's great to be on the show again. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. Uh, First of all, what does the Bible say about uh, the national anthem? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, the, let me hear about the first or second most popular questions or searches that have come into Got Questions this summer or since these, this uh, COVID-19 hit us. Yeah, so since um, March, April, when the coronavirus news was all you could hear about, um, that's been the dominant question, anything related to that. So from is this pandemic a, a sign of the end times um that was definitely the biggest question um in the beginning and lately it's been more I mean, as more and more governments impose restrictions whether it's meeting sizes or stay-at-home orders it's questions related to um, what laws do christians have to obey is this something that i can um, engage in civil disobedience over or mask mandates or mm-hmm. um most recently, it's been church um, meeting sizes, um, and there's been some state governments across the country, and I'm sure other parts of the world, too, that haven't been entirely consistent or fair. So um, some questions about that. So can the government tell a church they're not allowed to meet in person or have to restrict the meeting to 50 people or hmm. whatever? So anything that pops into the culture um, that impacts the church, impacts the daily lives of the Christians, that's going to be a question we're going to get um inundated by. Well, we are going to spend probably more time on the question of civil disobedience uh, in a little bit. But first, let's just go back to one of the ones you shared. Uh, the disciples asked Jesus, uh, those who are searching gotquestions.org, they're in good company because the disciples said, when will these things happen, the end times? What will be the sign of your coming and the sign of the end of the age? And Jesus said, see to it that no one misleads you. So people are misled by all kinds of conspiracies, all, all kinds of false ideas about the end times. But clarify for us, Shay, other than Jesus saying these things, 
you know, pestilences, wars, uh, earthquakes. He said they are merely the beginning of birth pangs. What else can you share with us about people asking for signs and when will these things happen? Yeah, it's so interesting because I mean, referring to Matthew 24 and the, all of that discourse where Jesus talks about what's going to happen in the end times and all the things he pointed to and said, these are just the beginning of birth pains, that these basically is saying these aren't necessarily signs of the end times or wars, rumors of wars, pestilences, earthquakes, signs in the heavens, etc. But those are always the things that is this, oh, this huge earthquake in this part of the country, this, um, this tsunami that hit Asia, is this a sign of the end times? And these are specifically the things that Jesus said, don't look to these things as signs of the end times. And hmm. um, it seems like he then goes on to talk about when the end times are really approaching, it will be abundantly clear that they're here. You will not have to wonder. It'll be um, clear. So um, obviously we don't have time to go through a full study of the end times and eschatology and all that good stuff, but um, the Bible makes it clear that um, we don't need to worry. We don't need to think every um, natural disaster, every disease that pops up is a sign of the end times. But at the same time, these things should remind us that Jesus is returning and that mm-hmm. we should be both looking to that and um, living our lives as if it could happen right away, that we need to have an urgency about us um, sharing the gospel with our friends, family, loved ones who don't know him, and just being a light, um, light for Christ. Because it could be today, it could be tomorrow, it could be 100 years from now. I genuinely hope it's tomorrow rather than hundred years from now, but um, God's timing is perfect, and that shouldn't really impact um, the urgency we have and how we live our lives. Wow. Um, so many directions we could go here, but along these lines of uh, signs, uh, pestilences, this virus, COVID-19, um, uh, one of the many questions that are asked about it, we'll get to maybe masks and mandates because we are going to talk about civil disobedience, but what about vaccines? Some people say, what from Revelation 13 and maybe a few other places, hey, that's a don't don't wear a mask. It's a mark of the beast. Now I've heard that. I'm going. Wait a minute. No, the mask is not a mark. Could you please clarify that for us, Shay? Yeah, I mean, the mark of the beast has been a huge thing. I mean, there's some pretty wacky um, conspiracy theories out there. And, um, <laughs> with, with vaccines, I mean, I'm not a medical expert by any stretch, so. Um, there's some people who are saying that they're going to include a microchip that enables them to track us in the, in the coronavirus vaccine, and therefore it's the mark of the beast. It's like, no. Um, in Revelation 13, it talks about the mark of the beast. It tells you several things. Like, one, you won't be able to buy or sell unless you have it. One, or two, you won't be able to get it unless you like actively worship the Antichrist. Um, if you don't get it, you will be put to death. And so there's and there's a couple more things the Bible talks about there. So just getting a vaccine with a microchip in it is not, even if that's what was happening, that would not be the mark of the beast. Right. It has these other five signs as well. So um, we don't need to have our little um, apocalyptic freakouts every time um, new technology comes out. I remember um, my wife's parents, when grocery stores first had scanners in them, they um, were that that was the mark of the beast because some preacher had told them that barcodes that's are right the mark of the beast and I was <laughs> like just stuff like that that now we look back and think it's just silly but at the time I mean yeah I mean if you have to have a barcode in order to be able to buy or sell well then yeah I could see how that's only one of the five or six requirements for the mark of the beast so yeah we seem to be biblical in how we approach these things some well I would net if they were to come out with a, a microchip you implant into your right hand or forehead in order to be able to buy or sell, I would strongly encourage people not to get that. But if that's all it does, that by itself is not the mark of the beast, unless the Antichrist is on the scene, unless you have to worship him in order to get that mark, and et cetera, et cetera. So let's just be biblical in how we view the end times and not allow um, stuff to... Um, needlessly um, cause us fear. Could you please differentiate uh, for us the difference between um, the end times and the last days? Are they one and the same? 
those terms can definitely be interchangeable. Um, generally speaking, I'd say end times kind of refers to like a longer period of time. Um, end times can be everything from like some people view it the last days or end times is everything from Jesus ascension to when his second coming is. That is the end of God's program. Um, then maybe I'm having it backwards and which one is which, but um, generally speaking, <laughs> one of them is more general and one of them is more specific. I don't know if I can remember which is which off the top of my head, but um, I have heard that. Question. I have heard that too. The the end times and last days. We are in the the church age is like the last days. The end times I think is more broad, but yeah, you're right. Now, don't quote me on that one. Um, yeah, let's go to these mandates that governors. Um, it's not necessarily law. These are ordinances, uh, declarations, <laughs> proclamations, mandates about masks or about how many people can meet in church. Um, and let's talk about civil disobedience. That's one of the main issues that people are dealing with today. And that question is on your website. Uh, when is civil disobedience allowed for the Christian? You go all the way back to uh, A.D. Uh, 54 to 68 and Nero. Um, could you kind of give us some bullet points on that, Shay, regarding when is we know our government is not saying Christians you cannot preach in the name of Jesus they're not saying that but they are certainly limiting our worship how we worship where and when and everything else so please please shed some light on civil disobedience yeah this is the one that I mean, I'm personally struggled with this emotionally I I want to land on the the government can't tell us what to do side. But then when I try to go back and look at what the Bible actually says, that tends to push me towards the submit to the government side. So I, I definitely get both sides of this. Um, to <laughs> come up with bullet points, some, um, that's not an easy assignment, but here, I'll do my best. So, <laughs> so um, Romans 13, 1 to 7, and the passage in 1 Peter that talk about our need to submit to the government, mm-hmm. that God it's ordained government. It has a role to create order, to prevent evil, to um, punish evildoers, etc. Um, so we are to obey the government. And the one time the Bible specifically says we do not have to obey the government is if the government were to tell us to do something that violates God's word. And the example in Acts is that the um, government of the Sanhedrin, the governmental leaders, religious leaders of Israel, told the apostles to stop preaching about Jesus. Mm -hmm. And their response was, well, we have to obey God rather than man. So they continued um, preaching. So that's the one example in the Bible of someone disobeying a direct command from the government, and that would be something that God supports. So anytime the government tells us to do something the Bible forbids or to not do something the Bible commands, we have the biblical authority to um, disobey that command. So then when it comes to, this is an example, let's say church is not meeting, or at least not meeting in large numbers. So what does the Bible say about that? Mm-hmm. Well, we've got Hebrews um, 10.25 that says, do not forsake assembling together. Okay, so there's a command that Christians should continue to meet together. But when you look at what the author of Hebrews was going on in his time period, First century A.D., Christians are, for the most part, meeting in very small numbers, in homes. So what when he's saying, do not forsake gathering together, he's not referring to 10,000 people meeting in a giant auditorium together. So Hebrews 10.25 can be fulfilled in smaller groups and homes. And as far as I know, I, only California has gone to the step of actually saying, um, you can't meet in small groups and homes. So that's when it gets really difficult. Is okay, does a virtual service then count as um, gathering together? Um, meeting over the phone or meeting over Zoom, doing those type of things, can that temporarily fulfill the requirements to meet together, to encourage one another, love one another, to spur one another on to love and good deeds? So that's when it gets tricky, but yes. obviously the Bible doesn't talk about virtual services at all. So, I mean, the, unless until the government actually gets to the point of saying, Christians, you can't meet together at all, 
that is the time when um, disobedience, civil disobedience comes into play. And you just look to examples of Christians in other parts of the world, China, for example, where um, the underground church is in many parts of the country the only way Christians can gather together. So they are disobeying the government or continuing to fellowship together, but they have to do it privately in small groups. So thankfully, um, we're not there. It'd be a very sad day if the United States ever actually gets to that point. Mm-hmm. Um but in the situation we're currently in, I think, um, for the most part, the government mandates have been um, reasonable. And in a lot of states, at least they're consistent. It's not like they're specifically targeting churches. They're, um, the frustrating part is when you get a state like Nevada who is saying, well, casinos can be open up to 50% of capacity, but churches are limited to 50 people, no matter how big they're building is. Exactly. That, so, that's frustrating. Targeting churches with a unfair and unreasonable um, requirement, that's, um, that's when it gets really, really frustrating. And so you're in that situation. What do you do? Do you disobey? And you know, the Bible really doesn't give us an out just because a, a law is unfair. Mm-hmm. Again, unless the law violates Scripture, um, we should obey it. So um, that's kind of where I land. Again, I, I wish, I truly wish I landed a little more on the fight side, but biblically speaking, that's where um, God has currently led me to the conviction. We have a very interesting perspective being in America with our Constitution and the freedoms, the Bill of Rights, particularly religious freedoms, and um, we are very spoiled. Uh, Paul when he wrote Romans 13, it was during the reign of Nero. And so that makes it even more, to me, frustrating because he says, no, submit to the governing authorities. And I'm going, man, Nero just, he annihilated Christians. What are your thoughts on, on he, I mean, it's even a more uh, serious step than what we want to recognize, I think. Exactly. So um, Nero was perhaps the um, most evil of all Roman emperors. I mean, that's a pretty tough competition. They Most of them were pretty bad dudes, <laughs> but um, Nero especially. I mean, murdering Christians, ungodly, immoral laws, and mm-hmm. inconsistent interpretation. The guy who most historians think was certifiably insane was the leader of the um, known world at the time. And Paul's still saying, yep, we need to submit to them. And um, you mentioned the Constitution. Yes, I mean, the United States with our, um, the Bill of Rights, the freedoms that the Constitution gives us, um, we're in a unique situation almost in history that citizens have as much freedom as we do here. Um, interesting part of it is um, we've got a lot of people say that, um, well, Christians don't have to obey laws that are unconstitutional. So these mandates from governors well that they didn't go through the, the legislation legislative right. process so therefore they're not real laws but well so the constitution says that the supreme court is the final arbiter of whether a law is constitutional and so far two cases have been brought to the supreme court about restrictions on church meetings and both times the supreme court has refused to overturn a governor's mandate so if we're going to say we believe in the Constitution, the Constitution says the Supreme Court's the final arbiter. The Supreme Court is saying these laws are allowed to stand. Well, then, and if you're going to make the constitutional argument, then um, we can disagree with the Supreme Court. We can say, I think their ruling was wrong, but um, ultimately, so the Supreme Court says the law is constitutional, then that even gives more weight to the fact that we should obey it and then go through the process of trying to get it overturned. So yeah, just disobeying laws we don't like or laws that we disagree with or laws, judgments from the courts that we disagree with, that's not how the Constitution works. Um, so yeah, it's it's a tricky situation all around, and uh, whether it's mass or meeting size restrictions, um, don't like any of them, but since I'm trying to be a good citizen, both in the Christian sense and in the American sense. 
And you uh, wrap up the article about civil disobedience uh, with several points. Uh, Christians should resist a government that commands or compels evil. And that's when the government's laws or commands are in direct violation of God's laws and commands. What we're dealing with is a... It's a political issue, but it's a health issue. It's the virus, and what, how do we respond to virus to protect the, as many people as possible? Back to your article, though, it says Christians are commanded to pray for their leaders and for God to intervene in his time to change any ungodly path that they are pursuing. The frustrating thing, Shay, for us is the misinformation that has been from the beginning and the double standards when they're giving someone, like you said, casinos or Liquor stores or abortion businesses, one, they're essential, but churches are not essential. And then you have to limit certain things when it comes to worship. But that's what we're frustrated about generally. But we've got a lot more questions to ask. We're with Shay Hoodman, the CEO of GotQuestions.org. When we come back, we're going to talk about does the Bible condone slavery? We're going to talk about racism and Black Lives Matter on Stand Up For The Truth. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. We're speaking with Shay Hoodman of GotQuestions.org. Right into the next question. Um, I was surprised to see one on your website, Shay, that says, what does the Bible say about rioting? <laughs> I kind of, I had to laugh because I'm thinking, really? We have to wonder why it's wrong to set something on fire or destroy property or, you know what I mean? So maybe we should start there because we're seeing that happen in different cities around the country. And there are some Christians that are saying, well, they have a good reason to express themselves or to be frustrated or to to destroy public or private property. So maybe we should start right there. How is a Christian to respond to what's happening where rioting is concerned? Yeah, so that... Um, when we notice that question, uh, what does the Bible say about rioting, being submitted to us in various forms, <laughs> that our reaction was exactly like yours. Like, seriously? What? Yeah. Is this even a question? But <laughs> if enough people are asking it, if 10 people have actually submitted the question, you know there's hundreds more who are actually wondering about it. And, mm-hmm. You know, kind of going back to what we were talking about in the first segment, um, here in the United States we have far more rights than most people throughout human history have had. So the fact that we can even have a peaceful protest, um, and even many countries today, that would be outlawed. Mm -hmm. Or if there's any sort of rioting, the police or military would put it down immediately. So um, it's kind of strange to see people protesting, rioting um, against a country that is one of the few countries that even allows them to do that. So that's an interesting thing to think about. Right. Um, I think the protests that occurred during the civil rights era would be um, the proper example. I mean, the Bible doesn't really talk about rioting, protesting, marching in the streets type of thing, but the peaceful protests of saying, look, there's an issue that we think is wrong, that we think our nation is headed the wrong direction on, a march to raise awareness for a cause. I don't think there's anything biblically wrong with that. But as soon as it gets to um, destroying property, attacking people, setting things on fire, um, spreading lies about the police, uh, about business, about questioning everyone's motives for their political leanings and so forth, that's when it gets to the point where, no, none of this stuff is anything a Christian should have any part of and definitely shouldn't be supporting. But a peaceful protest, raising awareness, whether it's racism or whatever issue, if, it, if there's a problem, it needs to be brought to people's attention so that it can be dealt with. But um, violence is never the biblical answer. The only um, time the Bible um, allows for violence is in the situation of a, is a government um, declare, essentially declaring war on the government in order to destroy evil so so yeah the rioting it's sad to see on tv it's mm-hmm. frustrating to um see the certain governments allowing it to happen oh just let them protest let them get it out the whole time they're destroying people's lives and exactly and, and some people in some instances killing people and yeah and allowing them to go unpunished i mean it's 
one thing to allow people to express themselves. It's mm-hmm. another thing to allow them to express themselves in ways that are actually damaging to other people and to our nation as a whole. Regardless of the cause, whether you are right or wrong biblically, this the whole idea of other people's property, property rights, that comes into play when you're destroying someone's business, livelihoods, property. But even if I was to go and take a sledgehammer to a Planned Parenthood building, you know, mur- you know, murder is wrong. To kill babies in the womb is wrong. But for me to go do that, you know, that's destruction of property, and it's, that's a wrong way to get the message out. And that I would be wrong to do that, even though I believe they are wrong in what they do behind those walls. Um, so the destruction of property is one expression of racial injustice. This is what many people are marching in the streets for. And we've talked a little bit about the background and the history and the organization, the global organization Black Lives Matter. But let's go back to the question, Shay, which goes to the Old Testament. And does the Bible condone slavery? Because there were people of every, you know, color (laughs) that were slaves at one point in time throughout world history. But does the Bible condone it? So I would answer that core question with the Bible neither condones or condemns slavery. What hmm. the Bible does, especially in the Old Testament law, is give you some guidelines on if slavery exists, this is how it should be handled. And in the New Testament, Paul talks about slaves, submit to your masters, masters, treat your slaves well. Mm-hmm. But when, here in the United States, when we hear the word slavery, we instantly go to the race-based slavery that occurred in the um, 17 and 1800s. Um, the, um Africans, by the thousands, were basically kidnapped from their homes in Africa, brought to the United States and other countries to serve as slave labor. But that's that's not the slavery the Bible is talking about. And mm-hmm. especially in the New Testament times, slavery was more of a economic situation than a um, I don't know, definitely was not race based. Um, Roman citizens could be slaves. Um, you could be a slave and you could be um, a doctor. You could be a lawyer and actually be indentured servitude to someone else. So often someone would get themselves into economic trouble, and because of that they would commit themselves to serve someone's slaves until their debt was paid off. So when you hear verses in the Bible talking about slavery, don't automatically go to race-based slavery because that was not what the Bible was talking about. I mean, sometimes did... One nation enslave another nation, yes, but it wasn't the color of the skin. It was like, well, we defeated you in a war, therefore you are now our slaves. So it's not the same thing. But ultimately what I would point to, if you look at the message of Jesus in the gospel, how, um, in Galatians, I believe it's 3.15, that there's in Christ there's neither slave nor free, that we're all one in Christ. The New Testament lays the foundation for why of human slavery should be done away with. So while it doesn't command that slavery should be done away, it does give you reasons to anticipate if we're all one in Christ, if we're all equally created in the image of God, Mm -hmm. no matter what race, ethnicity we are, how could we possibly enslave another human being who is also created in the image of God? So Christianity was the driving force that eventually ended slavery. All the big abolitionists in human history were I would say all, most of the famous ones, the impactful ones, were doing it because of their love for Christ and yes. their love for other people. So while the Bible does not um, outlaw slavery, um, it does lay the foundation for why um, slavery is wrong. And again, it, to me, it goes back to how could I support enslaving another human being who is created in the image of God? To me, it's, it's unfathomable and it's horrible to think that many slave owners in the United States and other countries were Christians, and somehow they were just tremendously hard-hearted on this issue, and they wouldn't allow it to sink in, probably for economic reasons. They're like, wow, having all these slaves really helps me economically, and that'll, they allowed that to overrule what I bet deep down in the heart they knew was wrong. One point that you made, we can sum up by saying Jesus Christ is the great equalizer. Uh, we are all equal at the foot of the cross as far as sinful man. But you said the purpose, this is how the article ends, does the Bible condone slavery? Uh, 
The purpose of the Bible is to point the way to salvation, not to reform society. And once you get involved in social justice movements, you are trying to reform society. You are not necessarily pointing people to salvation, to Jesus Christ. And at the very beginning of that article, it says, it's estimated that there are today over 27 million people in the world who are subject to slavery, forced labor, sex trade, which we very rarely hear anything about, and it's happening even here in America, but you don't hear a peep about it generally, um, inheritable property, but 27 million people in the world today that are subject to slavery, you don't hear a peep about that, but when it, when it comes to our past history, part of our history in America and racism and slavery, um, they're all marching in the streets, not to say that they're not justified for doing so, but I think you've got to come and bring it back to that context where how you ended it. The Bible, the Bible's purpose is to point to salvation where we are all equal in Christ. Shay, your thoughts. Exactly. So people have it backwards. They think that they can transform society just by convincing people that a certain thing is, is wrong. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Christians should approach it the opposite direction. It's like, no, until someone has experienced salvation in Jesus Christ and been transformed, made into a new creation as a result of that faith in Christ, that their mind is not going to change. That they're still go- ultimately going to be selfish, looking out for number one all the time. Um, so getting rid of slavery, for example, the key was convincing people first to come to a saving knowledge and faith in Christ, and then because of that transformative power of the Holy Spirit to then allow God to reform their thinking, to change their hearts and minds on some of these issues, and then people to realize that something is wrong. So the cure for racism is not to create all these laws to outlaw any sort of racist things. Well, I'm not saying these laws are bad. I'm saying people are still going to have the feelings in them, the sin inside of their hearts to cause them to be racist, whether there's laws or not. The true cure would be Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. and the transformative power to change how we view other people, to realize that uh, no matter the color of skin, no matter the ethnicity, whatever, other human beings are made in the image of God, and therefore we should treat them with love, dignity, and respect, and should view them as our absolute equals. So social justice, a lot of what they are fighting for or arguing for is true and good. I just think they're going about it the wrong way. Yes. That without Christ, none of what they're truly wanting to accomplish will be ever accomplished because it takes a changed heart. And and we um, sometimes yoke ourselves. We are not to be <laughs> unequally yoked. We, we lock arms with unbiblical secular movements that have a whole lot more under, you know, behind, under the surface, behind them. Um, I want to go to Ephesians 2.14 on this idea of uh, racial reconciliation, only in Christ it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Ephesians 2.14. So, Shay, in the last five minutes that we have here, um, these two things go together. The other questions I wanted to talk with you today about, and I know we have such a limited time, um, how should Christians view the Black Lives Matter movement and cultural Marxism, which is part of that movement, and they're using that movement, the idea, which is not a bad idea, Black Lives Matter, because all lives matter, because we're all created in the image image of God. Um, But what are your thoughts on how Christian is to respond at this point and what we're seeing in our culture and some of the confusion on this movement? So the tricky part of this is that it's hard to say that you oppose the Black Lives Matter movement because it sounds like you're saying you don't believe that Black Lives Matter. Right. That's absolutely (laughs) not the case. So I've heard it distinguished between um, capitalized, the Black Lives Matter movement, the formal movement, versus the truth of the statement that, of course, Black Lives Matter. So um, you can believe that all Black Lives Matter without supporting the Black Lives Matter movement because... Um, if you read some of their charter, I know it's mm-hmm. semi-disorganized, different Black Lives Matter movements in different states are really not connected to each other, so you can't paint them all with the same brush. But for the most part, they are 
highly against anything connected to the Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're a, um, it's more about transforming the United States to wanting it to be a socialistic Marxist society um, rather than um, truly being about how do we stop um, black people from being needlessly killed in so many of the situations we've heard about in the news. Because I mean, we talked about it briefly earlier. So um, Planned Parenthood, for example, um, the founder of Planned Parenthood um, was a um, eugenics, which basically means wanting to create, to eliminate the inferior mm-hmm. races from humanity. Margaret Sanger, um, she, yes. She viewed um, African-Americans as inferior. And so most of the first Planned Parenthood places were built in inner cities, but she wanted black babies to be aborted. So you think if you really believed that Black Lives Matter, you would oppose the mass killing of black babies and all these Planned Parenthood things, or um, the tragic um, instances of black-on-black crime in inner cities where more people are often killed in Chicago in one day in black-on-black crime than mm-hmm. are black people are killed by police in an entire year. So if you truly believe Black Lives Matter, you should be fighting um, injustice against blacks in all forms, not just focusing on um, the horrible circumstances of some, I don't even know how to describe it, um, horrible police officers doing things that result in the murder of black people when it was absolutely unnecessary for that situation to unfold the way it did. Um, why is that given so much attention when so many other black lives are being snuffed out yes. um, in other ways? So if you truly believe black lives matter, you should be fighting all of these things, not just focusing on the one that will allow you to um, achieve your cultural objectives. So, I mean, do I believe that Black Lives Matter? Absolutely. As I said earlier, um, I fully believe that every race, ethnicity, whatever you want to call it, of humanity is equally created in the image of God. Mm-hmm. To me, that's um, that's the key factor. Um, do I support the Black Lives Matter movement? I keep mispronouncing Black Lives Matter movement. <laughs> no, I can't because their objectives truly aren't what people, most people think. It, um, it goes far beyond just a fighting mm-hmm. against injustice against blacks. It's far more um, than that. And um, I know we're running out of time here, but if you truly go, like, go to some of the Black Lives Matter websites and read their objectives and very mm-hmm. anti-Christian and very against the nuclear family concept and uh, promotion of the gay rights agenda and all these other things that Christians should um, not support. So should Christians believe that Black Lives Matter? Absolutely. But the movement itself, no. I mean, we, it's not something we can endorse. Yeah, on its own website, it says, you know, you can donate to the Black Lives Matter Global Network, which rakes in millions and millions of dollars. And uh, I would say that that money is not going to the inner cities to really help the black community. And uh, Shay, you're right. You, you know, we've got to be concerned about all people, but we are really not helping them by furthering this massive agenda. Look at the damage it's doing to the country and the division it's causing. And yeah, more people are being killed and unnecessarily at this point. But uh, Shay, we run out of time. It goes by so fast with you, but so many more questions. If you want to get detailed answers on uh, does the Bible condone slavery, what is cultural Marxism, how should Christians view the Black Lives Matter movement, and we started off by the on the topic of civil disobedience, go to gotquestions.org. Shay Hoodman, thank you, brother. God bless you. We'll talk to you again hopefully soon. Thanks, David. It's great being on the show. All right. When we come back, we've got some more. Uh, the mask debate continues, and I've got um, emails from different people on the mask side, the pro-mask side, and on the no-mask side when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. 
So a lot of people have very strong thoughts and opinions on mandates by the government and the COVID-19 issue and the mask mandate that some governors are um, <laughs> passing as ordinances or whatever you want to call them. Um, that's no different. I just want to read a couple emails, just two different ones on both sides of this, just so you can understand uh, where people are coming from. And by the way, we really need to be respectful, regardless of which side you're on. Be respectful, no uh, guilt shaming, no virtue signaling, um, just really, I mean, both sides, I've seen this. So let's try to find that balance of loving our neighbors. And because you are choosing to do one thing or the other, you are not more loving. Okay, please, please. One person emailed me, I'm a mask supporter because I have COPD. And I can't stay locked in my home forever. People are asymptomatic. I would think someone would be kind enough to not just think of people like me, but enough not to want to bring it home, not to want to bring it home, COVID-19, to their loved one. What if I had it and gave it to you because I didn't wear a mask? You'd be very angry, just like I would be if I got it from a stranger. And, of course, I'm parenthetically inserting you don't know where you pick it up. It could be from a surface. It could be from a person. So I'm just parenthetically inserting that. Um, a stranger who couldn't who couldn't control themselves long enough to wear a mask like me. It should be a mutual respect thing, not something people should be forced to do to protect one another. So let me just share uh, one thought on that. She has the assumption that um, people shouldn't have to be forced to protect one another. So she is convinced, and by the way, it's inconclusive, the medical evidence on I've heard reports on both sides by doctors whether the masks really work or how effective they are depending on what mask you use so there and if you wash it or if you throw it away and grab a new one so the lot of inconclusive research i wouldn't jump to these conclusions that um it it well, no matter what you're protecting someone by wearing a mask that's i understand that idea okay now this next email is on the other side of the issue I, too, have asthma and COPD, as well as severe anxiety when wearing a mask due to two physical attacks in the past, where two different individuals attempted to strangle me. Wearing a mask is downright torture for me and has been triggering multiple daily anxiety attacks over the past month. Yet, when I go without a mask in the few places left where I can, but still maintain six feet or more between myself and other patrons, sanitize my hands anytime I touch my face, and try to respect others, uh, others people, other people's choices with regards to wearing a mask, I have faced horrible harassment, judgment, and hostility. I've lost the support of friends clients, and some extended family over this stupid issue. I've been called selfish, disgusting, every cuss word in the book, and even a murderer when I can go without a mask. Yet I still try to smile and show God's love to those around me, even in the face of persecution, praying and grieving over the state of our country and our souls. So she has asthma, she has COPD, and this issue with being attacked in the past and uh, one attempt to strangle her. Um, so she doesn't wear a mask. Do you think she has a right to wear a mask? Yes. Do you think that she is choosing not to wear a mask and not caring about protecting other people? Do you think she's choosing not to wear a mask because she doesn't love her neighbor? Okay? So stop it. I'm really tired of this. Going back and forth, I see it on social media. This is sometimes friends, and I, I'm, I maybe I should point the finger at myself. We need to take a break from the news and from social media and the conflict we're seeing over this issue. Now, we are Christians. What did, what, what did we share? We shared this verse, Ephesians 2.14, earlier regard to racism, 
But other things divide us. There's hostility over this issue of masks. So let's go back to this. Ephesians 2.14, talking about Christ, for he himself is our peace. He has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Christ himself is our peace. So on whatever side you are on, please do what you need to do in your conscience before God, and please don't push your beliefs or think that you're doing it right and everybody else is doing it wrong. Um, we really, guys, we, we especially Christians, we've got to come back to Christ, the great equalizer, because at the foot of the cross, every one of us has sinned. And every one of us needs the forgiveness, the hope, the salvation only Christ can offer. And as that verse said, he himself is our peace. Um, he said in John 14, uh, peace I leave you. I do not give you peace as the world gives peace, he says. He said, let not your heart be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. So those are just two people that I read their experiences and their thoughts on wearing a mask. Um, medical reasons or not. But I've also heard someone, uh, people having experienced, more than one person having experienced going into a store, they have medical issues or reasons they should not or will not wear a, a mask, and the store still turned them away. This is dangerous when, when it comes to, the, to that. So governors uh, or emperors, ordinances don't really help at that point because we were fellow human beings and we're losing the basic love and respect for one another. We are losing this in our society. Common courtesy, kindness, loving one another enough to, yes, tell them the truth, but to respectfully disagree. And I know I'm preaching to the choir because most of you that are listening, most of our audience really gets this and really tries to strike that balance, find that balance, no matter what side you're on. So one more um, thing I wanted to share with you. Uh, Jan Markell sent this out um, less than a week ago called The Weary Remnant Watchman. And one of the letters she got, um, someone said, uh, Jan, I, I am viewed as crazy just by mentioning how excited I am for the Lord to return and about the times we are in. It, and it, it says, it makes me nervous to even mention world news and events or end time prophecies with people who claim to be Christian because the reactions I get are so negative. Now, this is a different issue. We're not talking about masks. Now we're talking about Bible prophecy and these signs that we're seeing. And yes, um, a virus could be one of the signs. Jesus said the beginning of birth pangs in Matthew 24. And it goes on. I haven't found even one person at my church work or extended family who's willing to discuss these issues with me. And Jan Markell's response was, we are living in the most biblically relevant times in history with the least amount of interest in these times from a biblical perspective. So it's really fascinating. Um, Jan Markell says, we are in a season of exploding signs of the times with the most amount of scoffing at the signs or at the Bible, which is predicted. Peter and Jude and others predicted that there will be scoffers at God, uh, skeptic, not just skeptics, but scoffers. That's in the Word of God. Um, so everything's now accelerated. Everything's on overdrive, except the interest in these things from a biblical perspective. We're trying to go to look to man's solutions and government solutions. And the more power you give to government, you think they can solve everything, here's a crisis. Let's look to government. No, let's not, because government will become God. Uh, let's learn from other nations, other other. Um, um, in history. So some potential reasons for this. Uh, way too many people love this world. And as First John chapter 2, I believe verses 15 through 17, if you love the world, it says do not love the world and anything that's in the world because the, the, if you do that, the love of the Father is not in you because then you're attached to the world. People cling to the world and that's where they get their, their pleasure, their perspective, and then busy, you get your busy, too busy for the things of God. So be careful, Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the world or the pattern of this world. But, what does it say? 
be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our mind? Thank you, Holy Spirit. The Word of God. We have to be in the Word of God every day, friends. And I'm not talking about a five-minute mini devotional. I'm not talking about a a uh, (laughs) 15-minute Bible reading just to, I don't know, get in some sort of practice just to do it every day. Yes, it's good, but let's try to invest a little bit more time in the deeper things of God and really dig into the Word and study and really spend more time. If you have to get up earlier, and I'm saying this to myself too, I've, I've gotten up later and later and later recently, but i got to get back to that time where we get up earlier and we spend quality time, quiet time. We talk about our devotional sometimes as quiet time. Well, that should be early. It should be in the Word of God. It should be without distractions. And that's hard. Why? Satan is the great distractor. He's the father of lies. And if he can distract you and pull you away to something that he's going to try to convince you is more important than the word of God, which is our lifeline, uh, he will do that. So let's, that's just an encouragement for all of us to be on guard and put on the full armor of God and pray in the name of Jesus because our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And as Second uh, Corinthians 10, 5 we cast down imaginations and any thoughts. We take them captive to the obedience of Christ. Cast them down. Think about that physical imagery. Casting those thoughts down that don't align with Christ and his truth. All right, off my soapbox. When we come back, we'll share our guests for next week. If you would like to be fabulously wealthy, or if you want to be totally healthy and win a gold medal at the next Olympics, then don't tune in to Wretched Radio because we don't make any of those promises. Instead, we talk about the biblical promises, which are much greater, and we'd like to invite you to join us weeknights at 6 p.m. on Q90FM. Wretched Radio, sponsored locally by Stero Appraisals. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now, we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. Oh, Lord, uh, thank you for keeping us here, and you uh, have a purpose for us every day. If we are alive and breathing, our hearts are beating. Right now, we've got a big lineup next week. Uh, Monday, George Carneal. Um, he's former homosexual, and he's got a book out. And forgive me, I don't have the title written down in front of me, but um, George Carneal will be back. It's his second time with us here on Stand Up For The Truth. Tuesday, Sergeant Mike McGrew, a Christian police officer. What, it, what was it like? He became a Christian while he was a police officer out in Southern California. So we'll uh, talk to him about what's happening now in the country, his perspective from a former police officer behind the badge of a Christian officer. And then now uh, you'll hear from Alex McFarland, uh, apologist and author, Wednesday. Next Thursday, we have Tony Garule back with us. He's with Radical Truth. Good website, good YouTube channel. Um, he specializes in Islam. And if you want to check that out, Tony Garule will be with us next Tuesday. You get a teaser. And then Friday, we'll be talking more about social justice with Mary Danielson of Calvary Chapel. So a busy week next week, as we always have. And thank you guys so much for your support. Please share our podcasts. God bless you, and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.